Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. I'm Father Gregory Pine, joined here by Father Patrick Briscoe. How are you doing over there, Father Patrick? Greetings from Providencia. Well, I am delighted to receive your greetings and delighted yet more to be chatting with you on this auspicious occasion. The internet's uh, really an amazing thing. Like you're there in Washington, I'm here in Providence, and we're conversing as if we were in a room together. It's incredible. I mean, our voices go through a series of tubes and wires, and we are able to communicate. <laughs> so sometimes the tubes get clogged. Thank you, Senator. That's right. Yeah. So the marvels of internet telephony. What a great grace in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Um, Let's see. You're in Providence and things in Providence, I imagine, are going groovily or well, I suppose normal people would say. Um, How is uh, how's things at the college? How's the class? Yeah, You know, I I don't object to your use of the very Thomistic term groovily. Oh, thank you. (laughs) As we're we're headed full speed into the end of the semester that things are things are picking up they're proceeding apace nice one might say you know i have a stack of papers here um at this point i am now raising the papers so as to show them to father gregory through the uh, internet. excellent so, well narrated i was only thinking if i was there reading <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um yeah so that's what i'm doing right now so in your class, do your students know about the Lord Jesus, or did you teach them sophistry? What was your tack? Oh, actually, um, last week was Jesus Week. Nice. So as you know, I'm, I'm teaching right now in the Western Civilization Program, which is the core curriculum at Providence College. And uh, last week we did the Gospel of Luke and selections from the letters of St. Paul. And during my lecture on the Gospel of Luke, one of the points that I was making was to demonstrates moments in Luke's gospel where it's clear that the evangelist believes that Jesus is God Mm. and is leaving us a record of this. Mm. And I heard someone whisper in the front row, see, I told you that's what Catholics (laughs) thought. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Which is fantastic. You know, it's like, okay, I've, uh, I've done at least that much. Get the word out folks. Jesus is God. Okay. That's been, uh, that's been solemnly defined. We know that with a certain assurance, so you can, you can spread it abroad. Um, let's see here in Washington, DC, in Washington, DC, <laughs> things are uh, just moving and grooving as I, um, you know, groovily. Yeah, exactly. Yep, perfect. Um, let's see. Thomistic Institute things. Um, a lot of the same, but good the same. Uh, we have this big program, Aquinas 101, where people can watch videos and learn to read Aquinas on his own terms. And people are signing up. And they are uh, just, they're liking it. Some are liking it. I suppose other people aren't, but they're not telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> not that we'd listen anyway. Exactly. Keep it to yourself. Um, Get off feature. my Thomism lawn. <laughs> eh, nailed it. There's no ism like Thomism. Um, so th- there's a feature called Ask a Friar on each email that goes out, and people can uh, choose to opt for that option. And then it sends an email to me. So I've been answering Perfect. a lot of emails. I've been surprised by the volume of emails. And quite a few about divine eternity. People are very concerned that if God is eternal, then we are not free. I have allayed all their fears. So you can well, sleep well. I mean, once they come to grips with the fact that the world isn't necessary, <laughs> you, can, you can accept a lot of subsequent metaphysics. <laughs> That's true. 
Why is there something rather than nothing? Because God said so. Okay. Is is there any? Are there any reports yet about what the Thanksgiving feast will include? What the Thanksgiving feast will include uh, for Aquinas one hundred and one at the no, House of Studies. At the House of Studies. Mm, I don't know what it will include at the House of Studies. I live under a rock, um, so I'm not. I don't always hear the scuttlebutt. Are you sure you don't live under the sumo? <laughs> uh, guys got jokes. Check them out. Um, yeah, I'm not up on scuttlebutt as of as of yet. I've traveled like X number of days in X plus two of the last however many days. I know that's a confusing thing, but I was a I was a math major, so I had to show off Great. my basic knowledge of algebra. Um, so yeah, but once I hear back, I'll let you know on a future episode, which will probably be like two months after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uh, okay. So recently, for, re, no, I have. Sorry, I have one more math joke. Good, I just can't yes. let it go by. No. So recently, I was looking for a place to sit in the common room, and there's um, there's a couch there, and I was insisting that there was a seat for me on it. Um, there wasn't really, but Father Thomas Davenport assured me that the couch always seats n plus one. Mm, nice. And they all <laughs> rolled over, and one fell off. Um, <laughs> that from We Sing Slaville. Okay, so the task at hand for today is that we are going to describe marriage. What competence have we to describe marriage? For we are neither married, nor are we... We're given in marriage. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> I know we just heard this last Sunday at the yeah, time of recording. From the Gospel of Luke. Um, so, uh, okay, so priests say things about marriage themselves not being married. Let's, let's, let's start with this. What do you think equips priests to weigh in about marriage. Um, I mean, you're not like ordained and then you have infused knowledge about marriage. And it seems kind of silly that like, again, you would go to a parish and you'd show up just kind of green around the gills. And then they would say to you, prepare couples for marriage, some of whom are probably more mature than you, some of whom are more like technically advanced than you and their respective careers. But you're going to be the one who accompanies accompanies them through these steps. What is it? How is that? How does that work? Yeah, well, for, I mean, the first thing that I want to say is that I have a confidence in the grace of orders no. uh, that, I, that I do believe that there's something that's different about man that's been ordained that equips him um, to be in situations that he maybe doesn't have all of the um, technical experiences for. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen priests do incredible things and been the recipient of those graces in my own life. So the grace of orders is real. And it does, it does equip a priest um, to be able to speak to all different kinds of situations, even those things that he may not have firsthand um, personal experience of. The analogy that I like to use um, related to this is that when you, when you go to the doctor, you do not need the doctor to have suffered hmm. exactly the disease that you're presenting. You know, uh, so you can, you, you, can go to, you can go to an oncologist who has himself not had cancer and trust that he is going to understand how the disease is going to work. Um, and the priest in this way is like a physician. You know, maybe, maybe he himself has not been sick um, in the particular way that is being presented to him, but, um, but the priest does know uh, the cure in a certain way. Mm. I like that. I think a lot of times people have in their minds a fallacy of experience. Like what you've described, they have the sense that you can only really speak to those things that you yourself have experienced or that you yourself have suffered. But if that's the case, then we all just kind of get lost. Um, it's this, there's a desire on the part of a lot of people with respect to Christ. Like Christ has to experience every single aspect of our humanity. Like if he doesn't sin, you know, then what kind of human is he? Or if he isn't 
God forsaken when he dies on the cross and descends into hell, then has he really sounded the depths of our sorrow? Well, if, if, if Christ ceases to be God in some radical way, then he can't save us. You know, He has to have something to offer, and that's what we hope for, because if he's just one among a mess of broken people, then the chances of us getting out of that state are exceedingly low. So yeah, I think, I think that's a good thing to point out. Um, now, let's transition here briefly. Uh, what is it about, okay, marriage in the 21st century without being too doomy and gloomy? I just made up a verb there, or maybe an <laughs> adverb, doomy. Um, <clears throat> what are the big challenges for people coming for marriage preparation these days? Like, what is it that they don't realize? What is it that they think falsely? Or, or maybe just like, how are they set up in a certain way to fail? And you know, like what's kind of, how has the table been set? How have, how have the, how has the deck been shuffled? Right. I honestly think the biggest obstacle into, uh, that, that a priest has, that a priest has to encounter when a young couple, um, announces to him their engagement is he has to find a way to handle all of their expectations for their wedding day. Mm. <laughs> so the cultural, the cultural need to have a great party, to address all of the issues in one's own family, to determine an appropriate time and place for the ceremony, to examine all of the aspects of the ceremony. All of this just becomes something that's very uh, big suddenly. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I think right out of the gate, right out of the gate, there's a, there's a lot at stake when a, when a priest meets the couple um, for the very first time, because there are a number of expectations, even still, about what a, what a wedding is, a, is supposed to be. Um, you know, in my own life, my, my favorite example of a couple defying this is uh, my sister and brother-in-law. So as, as, some lis- as some listeners will know, my sister Kathleen and uh, my brother-in-law, Mike, uh, put an announcement in their parish bulletin and had a bash in the parish hall after their wedding. That's so awesome. it was a come one, come all uh, day. And I, th- the reason that wedding was so powerful was because it, it really represented um, a true communal celebration. And it allowed them to escape from a lot of the, the chaos that dominates um, preparing preparing for a wedding as a kind of grand celebration. So I think that it, it allowed them a way to enter deeply into um, this, the sacred nature of the day through the, through the support of of the community. You know, they're just very active in the parish. Uh, they're very well known there. And for them, that was a perfectly natural thing to do. Yeah. It's interesting too. I think a lot of people's expectations or the relative readiness of the couple can be dictated by the setting. Okay. That's unnecessarily complicated. What do you mean, Father Gregory? I mean, it depends like what kind of parish you're at. So sometimes you'll be at a very devout parish mm-hmm. that's ugly. So the only people that, the only right. reason that people want to get married there is because they love they this actually community. love that place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They have like strong attachment to it for, you know, or you might be at a place that's kind of in an inner city. It's a kind of Monday through Friday parish, but it happens to have a really long aisle and it happens to have a, you know, beautiful vaulted ceiling and, you know, excellent artwork and people want to get married there because it's pretty. And so the type of couples that you encounter in those, di- those different places will be in marked contrast. And so sometimes you find that the people approaching for the sacrament of marriage, they have a right to it, certainly, provided that they're, that they're well disposed um, and that there aren't you know, impediments to their being married, but that they don't have a sense of why it, matter, why it matters to be married in the church. 
you, you might ask them like, mm-hmm. you know, why here? Uh, why this church? And what about that? And they'll tell you, you know, like it's pretty, it was recommended to me. I saw, you know, photos, yada, yada. And then you say like, well, what about, what about this mass? You know, what about it being something blessed by the church or a minister of the church? And people will sometimes be able to tell you like, you know, because we want it to mean something or because our parents got married this way and it's important to us that we do the same. But very, very rarely do you hear like Christ instituted a sacrament and he gives grace in a sacrament and we want to avail ourselves of that grace. (laughs) Um, Because a lot of these folks, you know, just aren't going to mass and that's, that's neither here nor there, but you, you find that the first couple meetings, and maybe you thought, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cover serious ground in John Paul II's theology of the body. We're going we're gonna to cruise through like original solitude and original nakedness and blah, 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 and thus and such. <laughs> and what you find you're really doing is doing basic catechesis, like Jesus is God, and that it matters that you go to mass and that sin is real and you need to go to confession to deal with sin. And uh, yeah, it's, it, can be, it can be a mixed bag. <laughs> um, so how about... Uh, in, in, you know, experiences that you've had over the course of the past few years of preparing people, what have been some surprises? Uh, what is it that people, maybe what are, what are people's expectations when it comes to the sacrament itself? What do they expect it to give to them or what do they expect to supply to it? Are they thinking about holiness? Are they thinking about permanence? Are they thinking about children? Like what's really on their mind and, and what is it, why is it that they're doing this particular thing? Yeah, I think one of the greatest things that we can introduce is that is that sacraments actually do change things. Um, so one of one of one of the things that it's an invitation for us to one of the things that we're invited to present to our culture today is the idea that something radically different happens to the couple on the day that they're married. Mm-hmm. On your wedding day, you are not the same as you were before that wedding day, and your life will not be the same after because of your wedding day. The idea that sacraments affect real changes in our lives, that they, you know, as you so eloquently put, avail us to real graces is very important. Um, so to, to be able to identify in all of the signs of the day, the dress, the flowers, the music, the people, that, that all, all of this represents a dramatic change in the couple, um, that's really important. Um, that's, a, that's a kind of step one thing. And that, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing to to get to tell people, to assure them that God's grace really does do things to them and does things to their lives. I think, I, you know, one of, the, one of the other things that I've seen is in, in a beautiful way, people that are presenting themselves um, at the church for the sacrament of marriage um, oftentimes are still very committed to family. They have an understanding that, that I want to do something uh, in life that's bigger than myself. You know, I want to love someone in a deep way and build something. And so they know that like presenting oneself to the church for marriage is a kind of opening up uh, of, of a next chapter of life, uh, of, a, of a kind of beginning, of a, of a, of a starting of something. And so, so I think there's still a very, uh, certainly in New England anyway, there's a, there's a very deep sense of the cultural importance of a family and that, that, a, wedding, that a wedding is the day when someone is constituted um, as a member of a new family, mm-hmm. when they're married, they belong not 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 to the family in which they were raised, but now they have started their own family. Um, yeah. that, that that a new home is formed on that day. I think um, it's it's uh, it's often important to tap into what you just described, because if you go at it and say you people before me who are not going to church should go to church because God tells you to go to church. 
they're going to look at you askance, maybe give you the middle finger and do nothing differently. Um, <clears throat> so, so you, you have the to key, the-, the key father Gregory is to ask them for money in the same breath. People <laughs> <Sorry>. love that. Gary <laughs> envelopes guys. Um, so are you registered? <laughs> The, 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 I think the important way by which to approach such a task is to tap into what they love and to what they want. So they want to be, you know, they want to have a family. They want their family to be, um, they want their family to be like the family that they encountered, perhaps if they had a, a happy home or they want it to be better than the one in which they were raised if their home was broken. Uh, and they're conscious of the fact that they're being asked to step up. They're being asked to sacrifice for each other and for their kids. And so you take that and then you show how Christ has anticipated this desire. He's gone out ahead of this desire, and he sacrificed himself for love of the church. And you read um, Ephesians 5, you know, verses 21 and following, and talk about how your love is supposed to not only image the sacrifice of your parents, but the sacrifice of Christ, and to become a sign unto the nations that Jesus loves us this much. But in order to give that type of intensity, in order to be able to sacrifice with that kind of consistency and with that kind of generosity, you need help. You need supernatural help. And so you can kind of insert grace into the conversation to say that the Lord gives you what you need. But in order to, again, uh, partake of that, you need to show up. You know, you need to show up for mass. You need to show up for daily prayer. You need to show up for confession at least every couple of months. And I when think you have children, present them for baptism. Exactly. Yeah. You need to show up for the sacraments. And I think people can begin to appreciate that because they recognize, okay, what is to separate me from my parents who were married and then were divorced? How am I, how do I, how do I hope to, to be different than them? Or how do I hope to escape their fate, which I can acknowledge as sad because I've, I've grappled with the difficulty of it. Um, so maybe that's a good place to take a, a short break. When we come back, we can talk about a little bit, maybe a little more about commitment and consent and how Christian vocation is, is big and beautiful and worth doing. So uh, let's take a short break, and we will be back soon. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. And we're back. Okay, here it is. God's planning. We're just we're we're just doing it. We're doing it. We're really doing it. Man, Father Gregory's in a mood tonight, folks. <laughs> um, I don't sleep at night. I just wait. So it makes oh, me like that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Beautiful. Very. You know, as we approach Advent, that's a beautiful spiritual disposition. Ah, yes. Yeah, stay awake. Keep watch. So uh, when we took our break, albeit brief but powerful, potent, we were talking about um, you know commitment and consent. So maybe we could just talk briefly, what are, what are some people's fears when it comes to committing? Because a lot of people date for a long time and don't want to approach the sacrament of marriage because they're, they're afraid of what it might mean. And a lot of people, well, a lot of people have difficulty committing in general. You know, I think um, the boomer generation often criticizes millennials because they're like, you guys, you keep jobs for like two to three years and then you just go on to the next thing that pays you more and gives you a nicer flat in Brooklyn. And you're always looking to advance the thing, but you have no institutional commitment and yada, yada. So it's, it is said often of young people mm. that they, are, they, ha- they struggle to commit. So what is it about the commitment that's difficult or what about it? Is it it's fearful or why is that? You know, how, do we, how do we drill down on that? One of the things that is uh, one of the deepest truths of Christian life is that we are not enslaved by commitment, rather we are liberated by it. 
Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think th this is certainly the heart of St. Thomas's idea of freedom. Um, but but it's it's really it's really the things the things that we give our hearts to that that li that liberate us, that give us a, a deeper understanding of ourselves and of the shape of our life. So when when you make an ultimate commitment, it's not a liberation. Um, it's a it's a kind of realization of who who you were made to be, um, you know, especially in the deepest sense of, of this idea, which is Christian vocation, uh, that we're not we're not called by God to enter into some kind of eternal struggle of unknowing. Um, rather, we can have a confidence in who we are and what our lives are for, um, ba based on based on uh, promises that we've made in God's name. Uh, so when we talk about marriage as a commitment, that, that, that has to be at the heart of it. Otherwise, it's just some kind of obligationist lockstep prison. I have a pet theory about this. Um, oh, do, do me, do me. Here we go. So I think, <laughs> I think that we're all called to one vocation. And I think that vocation is the vision of God in heaven. And the vision of God in heaven. Well, thanks, Therese. Is, Hey, cheers. Love. I know the, I know my vocation. It's to love. Hey, man. Okay, sorry. Awesome. Vision of God in heaven. Vision of God in heaven. Here we go. Um, and the thing about the vision of God in heaven is that it's committed. You know, it's covenantal. It's the type of vision from which you cannot look away. Why? Because what would you look to? There's nothing else that is as satisfying, that is as whole and entire, that is as perfect. Um, so we don't, when we, when we behold God in heaven, please, Lord, we get there. Uh, it's not mm. as if we're afraid that the thing will diminish or that we'll lose it or that it'll somehow fail to satisfy. It's just firing on all cylinders onto ages of ages. And so we're made for that type of commitment. Right. The reason that we, you know, we esteem these states of life like marriage, like priesthood, like religious life is because they give us a kind of anticipatory share in that commitment. They stabilize us by vows to be firm and steadfast and, you know, like, these ways to the vision of heaven. We can talk about them as means. We can talk about it as ways, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't matter too terribly much. I mean, they're sacraments or sacramentals, but they're ways that we are initiated into or begin to live the permanence and stability of heaven. So of course, you know, we would find commitment, you know, kind of arduous at the, at the outset, but ultimately liberating because our entry into the life of heaven is arduous at the outset, but ultimately liberating. Um, I think here too of things that St. John Paul II would often repeat from some of the documents of the Second Vatican Council, namely that we find ourselves in a sincere gift of ourselves. Mm. I think that resonates with a lot of people's experience. I don't know what your experience has been with, but like this idea that it can be fearful to do something or to commit to something. But then when you do so, you look back and you're like, wow, how could I have lived otherwise? You know, apart from right. this, my life would cease to make sense. Um, so maybe just a little bit about um, this idea of commitment or consent. Is it is it is it advisable to a man to make such rash <laughs> vows? You know, can such a thing be tolerated in an age in which our natures are so readily changing? Do you think that it's it's still defensible? G.K. Chesterton defended in the 1920s, but so much has happened in the interim. Do you think it's still possible to live this way? Is it possible for a man to approach the sacrament of marriage, a woman to approach the sacrament of marriage? You know, for a second, I thought we were going to get through this episode without you saying Chesterton's name. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> alas, alas and alack, it has snuck out. Uh, <laughs> it's inflicted upon us the cruelty of English bar barbarian journalism. Uh, <laughs> You're sick. 
So how about I do a very Dominican thing and I tell you one time about a homily I preached that I thought was good. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, one, of the th- one of the things that I like to ask couples about as we're going through marriage prep is to ask them about their proposal. Because for so many couples today, the proposal is a well thought out event and it often tells you a lot about the two people. So it's a great question to ask um, uh, as you, the priest, are getting to know them. And one of my favorite proposals um, involved was was very elaborate. Um, this couple there on a beach, and he had planted a kind of message in a bottle down the beach, um, and they were running. He he uh, challenged her to a race, and they were racing together towards the message, which was his proposal. Okay. Now the reason why I like this image so much, uh, and why why I'm daring to repeat, uh, you know, an old homily idea, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is to say that I love I love the idea that th- that this couple is kind of fleeing arm in arm um, to this to this commitment that we're that they're going to make to each other, and I, I think that uh, I think that, that that image is just so so powerful of a couple just tearing down the beach, um, re- ready to throw themselves at each other. Uh, do you remember the book um, A Severe Mercy? Oh yeah. You exactly. better believe I do. Yeah. So I'm, well, I was, <laughs> I was going to say, hold, hold my, you know, hold my scapular while I, while I start tearing up. You know? uh-huh. um, yeah. I almost developed so, cataracts from weeping so copiously. <laughs> the, the, for, for the, for those who don't know it, uh, I'm not going to completely ruin it for you, but um, in the severe mercy, what, one of the ideas that this couple has is that they, they're going to be able to isolate themselves from everything else in the world. So they erect what they call um, the shining barrier, right? Is that, am I remembering that? That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the shining barrier around their relationship so that no outside cause um, will, will, be able to, will be able to penetrate them. And, you know, it works for a while and you get a kind of romantic and sentimental view of marriage um, while they're living in the shining barrier, but ultimately it seems very empty. And so the mystery of that book and the reason it's so powerful and why Father Gregory is going to re- weep tonight when he opens mm. his pages again <laughs> is, that, is, that, um, is that the shining barrier must always be broken and the shining barrier must always be broken by God. And the fastest way to break the shining barrier by God is, is through sacrifice um, and, and, and a kind of turning over and over and over again outside, uh, outside oneself. So I think that the particular thing for a married couple is that they can't um, they, they can't become locked into a kind of navel gazing um, but they they have to always be headed someplace and directed towards someone else um, in their love otherwise it, it becomes disordered you become obsessed with the project itself um, you become obsessed with keeping the shining barrier when the way to feed it is to is to love a family is to um, be of service is to engage in, in, in a life of, uh, of contemplation and deep relationship with God. Um, so kind of cultivating of something outside yourself to be running arm in arm with your partner down the beach to, um, to, to God. Hmm. There, there are like a couple things from that book, which I think, yeah, just as you're describing it, I'm having a recollection of particular scenes or particular words. Um, they had this desire to share everything so that they would never be, their love would never be riven. And so like, for instance, Sheldon knows how to fly, I think. And so he teaches Davy how to fly, but then Davy decides, Davy's the name of the woman. She decides that because motherhood can't be shared 
that they will not have children. So you can see how this pagan love has deep, deep problems at the heart of it. And it ultimately ends up being unfruitful because it doesn't have this dimension of sacrifice. It's not broken open to God. But then they speak about it as a pagan love invaded by Christ. And <clears throat> Sheldon uses this image. At one point, they took a yacht around the world. They sailed around for a while in a yacht. I think they called it the Grey Goose because it's... This is a true story, by the way. This is a memoir. It's insane. This is not um, a novel. But like uh, the yacht, they it call it the The ship Grey is the Grey Goose, yeah. Because a Grey Goose is faithful to its partner through life. Exactly, yep. you know, cheers. But then he describes, using, using the image of the Grey Goose, he describes how he felt when Davy had a conversion, a sincere conversion. And he said something like, I did not want Christ aboard the boat he was too heavy. I wanted to be a gypsy, you know, to live my life in relative freedom. And he like, so he resents her for the fact of her conversion, but eventually, you know, there, a, a series of events happens such that um, he ceases to resent her. And he in fact has a deep conversion. I think he becomes Anglican and finally becomes Roman Catholic. Um, but this idea that commitment to each other is not enough that one needs a commitment to something higher and transcendent, which will save you from your selfishness, which will save you from your self-absorption and break you open to a sacrifice, which will make places of the heart to exist, which formerly did not, because you didn't even know that it was possible to live human life so intensely. And I think that's a great thing. I mean, marriage, yes, it's perilous. Yes, it's crazy, but it's still worthwhile. It's still a noble, arduous, delightful good worthy of pursuit precisely because it has this capacity to transform a man and a woman from selfish egotists to a father and a mother, you know, a lover and a beloved. And, um, that continues to give grace. I mean, the Lord continues to give grace in and through that precisely because he has filled the sacrament with his love for the church and promised to dispense those graces unto ages of ages until such time as we are all wed to him immediately in heaven, you know, without any sign or without any symbol. Thank you, Book of Revelation. Dig. The heavenly Jerusalem <laughs> descending from heaven. There is no um, light for lamp or the sun. For the Lord God was that light. That's it. And their altar. So, okay, with that, I think that we, uh, we've kind of, we've spun our tale. We have, we have told our story. We have taken our time. Uh, it's been a delight to chat. Father Patrick, any, any final thoughts, a sign-off word? Get married if you're thinking about it <laughs> as soon as possible. Run to the altar. You know, fun fact, all that you need are a minister of the church and two witnesses. You, t you, t you don't need a band. You don't need a venue. You don't, you, you, you don't need a white dress. You don't need uh, a, a pool of bridesmaids. You don't need a trolley. You don't need a photographer. You just need the minister of the church, two witnesses. Bingo. Sign them up. Let's go. All right. So thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to chatting with you again next time on God's Plating. Cheers. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Plating, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.